Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Uh, normally you hear music at about this time, but uh, you won't hear any of that today. Um, anybody who's kept track of uh, the news over the course of the weekend uh, has seen the uh, the images and the reporting that have come out of Afghanistan. That's all concerned with it. And so... Uh, so pretty sober, uh, pretty sober stuff that we watch um, in uh, American history and Afghan history and, and world history. So, uh, joining me this morning is uh, Tim Lynch from McAllen, Texas. Tim, how you doing? Uh, good, Matt. Uh, once again, thanks for having me on. Yep, 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 yep. Will joins us from uh, the Greater Kansas City area. Will, how you doing? Good. Good morning, everyone. Morning. And then uh, Jeff Kenny with us from Southern California. Jeff, how are you? Very good. Okay, um, just to just to kind of frame this for everybody, uh, you know, you see a lot of reporting, you know, and and uh, so one of the things that, that you know we've looked at is just the guy. There's one guy who we you know we all know of, um, never met him, but have seen his reporting over the course of a couple decades. His name's Richard Engel, reports for NBC News. Pretty credible guy, both in Iraq and Afghanistan, relative to being a reporter, which is a moderately rare feat these days, somebody who stays in that lane. And so if you go to Richard Engel's Twitter feed, you'll see some reporting. And uh, we kind of use that as kind of a baseline um, uh, and as a point of departure. So with that said, uh, Tim's going to give us kind of a, a view of a greater Afghanistan and then and then we'll kind of zoom to Kabul and we'll talk about the Taliban have a problem in that, in that they don't have the ass they don't have the forces you know to dominate you know Kabul uh we've seen them at the presidential palace and and the the parliament buildings and stuff like that and then we're also going to talk about things at the airport so Tim will kind of walk us through uh, you know those situations, and then uh, and then Will and Jeff, we're going to talk about, you know, the, really the running a non-combatant evacuation operation and the challenges um, for that, and you know whether it's permissive, uh, whether it's non-permissive, or as Timmy will get to, this looks to be, you know, some form of hybrid. So if it's a hybrid, you default to non-permissive. Um, so anyway, with that as a preamble, uh, go ahead, Tim. Well, when we uh, we reported last time off uh, about Afghanistan, uh, which was a week ago, a week a week ago Friday, I expressed my surprise that uh, Nimrod's province had fallen and the, and the capital there had fallen, and I explained why. And uh, I confidently predicted that uh, the Taliban may gain land, but they're not going to get all the provinces. And this weekend. That is exactly what happened with the fall of Herat and Mazar Sharif, controlled by two very, very prominent uh, and successful former Taliban fighters and Mujahideen. Those guys stepped aside. Uh, those places were taken without a shot. It opened Kabul up uh, wide open for approaches from the north, the west and the east because Jalalabad and Nangarhar had fallen. And interestingly, um, uh, our friend Franz Marty, who, who Mac interviewed uh, from Kabul, had driven from Kabul through Asadabad and into Nuristan and back last last Friday, Afghan time. 
And he said it all looked normal. By Saturday, they were all in Taliban hands. And so this happened with no fighting uh, and, and precipitated the worst nightmare, I, I believe, that, uh, that, that we could have and one that, unfortunately, we've talked about. And that is a mass exodus of panicked civilians into the Kabul airport as the Taliban closed in from all the main roads that go into Kabul. And that is, of course, what everybody is seeing. The tragedy unfolding there is now obvious to all. And, um, and, and that is where we are with apparently some degree of negotiating or talking to the Taliban about uh, trying to control the crowds. Okay, so let's, let's, go. let's go to what everybody saw yesterday. Um, and, and just speak, Tim, to you know the, the Taliban's size and their ability to control an urban area like Kabul. Right. I mean, they simply don't have it. But we saw them at the palace yesterday. Um, talk to us about the significance of that. Well, what you have here is is command and control issues because you've got Taliban units coming from all directions. Some are controlled by the Quetta Shura. Some are controlled by the Peshawar Shura. Some are controlled by the Haqqanis. The Haqqanis in particular are, uh, are, are not known to be pleasant with Afghan civilians and people in Kabul. So. Although we have uh, uh, Khalizad in Qatar talking to the Taliban there about trying to reduce any chance of violence, it really doesn't matter what those guys in, in, in Qatar have to say about the matter because you have all these units that basically are consisting of about a 16-man guerrilla force crammed into pickup trucks, and there's no ability to co- control or coordinate them, even if they wanted to. They have no ability to do that. There's no chain of command in the, in the, in the Taliban. So you have a bunch of independent <clears throat> actors who are not going to be able to put enough manpower together to force out 10,000 panicked civilians. I, I just don't see how they're capable. Okay, of so, so we've talked about the concert of action. This is a loose mm-hmm. confederation of like-minded people, the Taliban. Uh, that's one thing. And so, so what we saw at the... Um, at the presidential palace and and the parliamentary buildings is made for TV stuff, um, uh, which is hugely significant in that we are now, I think their spokesman said the Afghan war is over. Uh, Taliban is now in control. So that is, that is essentially with with one exception, with one exception, Mac, and that is Mullah Baradar, a guy who, uh, our attempt to capture him in 2002 precipitated an untold disaster. He was captured by the Pakistanis and let go at our assistance in 2010. He's in the presidential office in Kabul. He is the chief spokesman for the for the Taliban negotiating team. So they have one senior decision maker there, but his span of control is very very limited. Okay, but so the, but that's a made for TV event, right? For the Afghan it is. people, oh, it's, and, a, it's absolutely and, made for TV and, and the world. And their their challenge is. How do they control a city like Kabul? And, and we'll get to that. Now, let's just go over to the airport. Okay, the the situation around the airport, according to Richard Engel, is there seems to be Taliban checkpoints in an outer cordon around the airport with the airport divided into two. Can you talk about his reporting and what he has to say about that and the situation there? Yeah, and, and one thing, Ingles right there. He's he's his live camera feeds are out of outside the embassy, so he can see it. 
The Taliban can control. I, I don't know where those checkpoints are because what you have is you have a road network. It, the, the embassy and the airport are a mile apart. It's one road, the Ahmad Shah, Shah Road, up to the embassy. There's two feeder roads that come in from the from the east and the west, so you can cut the roads. The problem is, in the middle between those roads is the habit. It's it's, it's densely populated, and people move through there easily over Bibi Maru Hill and several other terrain features. They need a, to get a, a, a cordon sand and tear. They need about five thousand dudes standing shoulder to shoulder, and they and they can't. So they can cut all they want to. All they do is cutting out the traffic. But the traffic around the airport is so thick that cars were abandoned 24 hours ago. There's nobody driving there anyway. Okay, but the bottom line is this: Engels reporting there is some level, there appears to be some level of cooperation. It, and, it does. And the Taliban on on some sort of outer cordon around the airport, it seemingly supporting and facilitating the American. Neo that's ta- that's taking place on the military side of, of the airport. Talk about the civilian t- side of the airport. Chaos, right? From everything we've seen. Airport's not a big place, you know. So you've got the uh, you've got the arrival terminal terminal that's 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 central to the air airfield. Um, so let's see, you're looking. So you're looking east and west as you come in uh, uh, to the airfield. On the western portion is where the ISAF uh, um, part of the airfield is. They, but it's got it's it's it doesn't control the runway. They, they've got to get outside of there. At least when I last saw it, it may be different. What well, has it can't be different to get out of there out of the air staff. You got you got to get on the runway. The runway's got people on it. That's the problem. I've seen that the Marines have taken half the runway. It looks like strung bob wire and are forcing people back. And 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 that's good. The best case scenario is the Taliban are able to move people out of our way and we leave unimpeded, which gives them an even greater moral victory over us, unfortunately. But it's the best scenario. All right. Uh, let's talk about the op side of this. So Will and Jeff have, have both. Uh, Jeff uh, has two, you know, real world experiences in what, 90 and 96, Jeff? Were those the two years? Yeah. Yeah, 90, 91, and then 96. Yep. And lest I forget, Timmy was part of the, the Beirut uh Neo. Yeah, but I was a sailor on a ship, and you guys won't give me credit for it. So no, we'll I'm give you credit, up. but you were just like a minion down in the, some like dispensing band aids and I shit. I delivered a baby on the hangar bay. No, that's that's congratulations was, for that. We want guys yeah, who are yeah. up in CIC and in the the op center and the LFOC yeah. and all that shit. Uh, I had no idea where we were. I couldn't tell you where the heck we were. But I delivered a baby. I know that. We'll be we'll be happy happy to give you credit for delivering the baby though. Um. So let's talk about uh, Jeff. So, so talk about your uh, your two real world, world experiences with this. Yeah, the crucial, I mean, um, piece of machinery in regards to Neo, both uh, in in Liberia and I think later on for Sierra Leone's a helicopter. I mean, that's how everybody. The reason you're there is because like the airfield at the airport is not available anymore it's too dangerous for people to go to because the state department that's how they would normally do evacuation operations they just send people out through the airport and when it gets so bad like it did in liberia in 1990 you know in other places the state department says hey we need to do we need the military military to come in and get us out of here 
the advantage that you have in a place like Liberia and then later on Sierra Leone and when Timmy was in, in Beirut is that the, the, the proximity of the capital and the, the site of the NEO that is uh, on the ocean. So it makes it a lot easier for, for us to get there. This one is way more difficult because it becomes a math problem. The more people you fly in for security from a distance, and it's a hell of a distance from uh, where they're coming from down there around, uh, you know, in, 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 uh, in the Emirates and in, in Kuwait and places like that, it's a tremendous amount of distance. That means refueling. That means the more stuff you take, um, you know, the more refueling you're going to have to do. And the, and the less you take, the further you can go. So it becomes a, a constant math problem. Like, I'm, I need to have people in here for security, but then they're going to be just more people I got to take out later. So it's a, uh, you know, you, you really got to, um, it's a whole different, problem than normal tactical problem the uh, and i'll tell you what the more weight you have on a uh, on well, i don't care what it is osprey 53 or whatever the the uh the less distance you can go and uh and the more the further you have to go the less you can take so like so these guys are going to just be carrying small arms maybe some crew serves and uh i think uh what you've already seen i, I didn't see any marines in, in, the, in the open source stuff i saw i saw soldiers I did uh, a raid there on the, uh, you know, on the tarmac and everything. I'm sure there are Marines up the ass there. We know there's a, probably about two battalions in the area, but, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, as far as clearing that, uh, that well, hold on, hold on. I, 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 I want to go back to the problem, the, the, the problems you worked on in Liberia and, okay. and Sierra Leone. So those problems, Liberia, 1990. Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't, Will did Sierra Leone. I did. We we flew people from Liberia to Freetown or into uh, Sierra Leone to uh, you know to uh, you know facilitate their evacuation. Okay, so so uh, so let me ask you. So uh, were were they uh, permissive? Were they non permissive? It was a combination okay. because the uh, there's three different factions fighting for control of uh, Monrovia. <clears throat> All of them didn't want to uh, piss off the United States too much. The problem they had was they were uh, their grassroots guerrilla forces, a lot of thuggery, and not too much control. I mean, t- Timmy kind of hit on it with the Taliban. And through the years in Afghanistan, that's been a problem. Uh, you know, people in Doha who are doing peace talks might say one thing. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to translate to uh, to that you know same type of action on the ground in Afghanistan. And and the fact is there's not, not a high degree of discipline, not a high degree of command and control. So just because somebody makes a deal in the outskirts of Kabul doesn't mean that, you know, uh, that that deal is going to hold on the other side of Kabul. You know, you know, you know, you know what I mean? They're, they're yeah. not. Uh, no, no, it's not it's a mon- not like, you know, Yeah, it's not a monolithic right. disciplined organization, as we've talked. Um, and that exacerbates, I would, you know, the issue. I would say, you know, something that's analogous to what we faced in Sierra Leone is we were told to go and do the evacuation. We really didn't know who. And how many? <clears throat> so we could never calibrate it. Sierra Leone actually occurred over the course of five days. Day one, we went ashore, evacuated people. We went back to the ship. We thought we were done. Day two, they told us we had to go back. Day three, we went back. We evacuated people. We went back to the ship. We thought we were done. Day four, they told us we had to go back. Day five, we swept up every single person we could find and took them back to the ship. And we were finally done. And there was there's there's no list 
of people who's coming. And you think, oh, we're just going to take American citizens. Well, some American citizens didn't want to go on day one, but then they wanted to go on day five. Yeah, exactly. And, we, and then we were taking allies. Uh, so, you know, there's about 17 varieties of British passport. So we're taking official people. We're taking citizens from other countries. Uh, and I'll tell you, fundamentally, on the last day, the only people I wouldn't take were Chinese. So when in doubt, take them out. Except for we're not taking any Chinese. And so how that's okay. analogous to this situation, who are we evacuating now? Are we concerned with official American citizens, anyone with an American passport, our allies, citizens, Canadians, British, you know, people that actually ponied up fighters. Right. Uh, and I guarantee you, we have no idea how many people that is. Right. Which means when we're done with it, whenever we're done, today, tomorrow, next week, next month, I guarantee that we are going to leave people behind. Yeah. So yeah, we'll be yes, seeing that true. story. That, that story, is you could write it today about the people we left behind. So. Yeah. And it's even uh, it's even worse because there's no proximity. Uh, there's no ship that's like five minutes away by helicopter flight. There's uh, you got to get people hundreds of miles before they're safe. So, uh, you know, this that's what I mean when I say it becomes a math problem about weight and and cube and all that stuff that, that you know that can go on those helicopters and the and the airplanes for that matter if they can get one usable you know length of that airfield open then there'll be a constant stream of people getting evacuated and people will constantly show up if there's a mechanism that the Taliban yeah. lets people get to the get get to the airport then um you're going to see that. And this will be probably, we thought we were going to go in and, and pull a couple thousand people out of Saigon in 1975, almost 30,000 by the end of that, uh, you know, that space of time. And even then we left shitloads of people that became the boat people and everything. There's no yeah, boats exactly. that can get away from Afghanistan now. Mac, Mac uh, you should, you know, the thing that, that, that also is going to affect this is that, you know, Jeff said, if they can get runway open, there'll be a constant stream of airplanes. I would, I would argue with that. Uh, there may be a stream of U.S. military airplanes. Right. But I got to tell you, a lot of uh, civilian big-time mercenaries, cannot. they won't be able to be insured. Right. And so they're, the ability and you know, U.S. military aircraft um, – actually don't carry a lot of people. That's not what they're designed for. And so if you're talking about moving, th and now we've said we're, we're put 6,000 U.S. troops in there. Well, 6,000 U.S. troops, uh, how many rations are you right. carrying? How much other equipment do you need? Radios, batteries, you know, what's the logistics footprint behind that? That's significant airlift Fucking there. Fucking water. Fucking water. Yeah. Then you got to take 6,000 people out of there. And then if you want to evacuate other people, how many people actually fit in a C-17? I don't know. Well, I, I've got an About answer. 400. No, no, no. I've got an answer. Now, uh, just a, a few minutes ago, this Coffee and Dye magazine just put up an article saying 
did one Air Force C-17 just fly out 800 people out of Kabul? And they've got an article where they've, where they've traced this guy's route. And uh, they've got a copy of the pilot telling the, the controllers he thinks he's got 800. He's not sure. So, so this indicates two things. I don't know if that's 800 screened Afghans. I don't know, because you can see pictures from Kabul airport where we've got C-17s taken off and Afghans are falling out of the wheel wells. Right now, you can see that on, on, the, on the news. So it is, it is only American military aircraft and Canadian Brits. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it seems to be chaos if you're packing 800 people into a C-17. Yeah. Tim, though, Tim, what Will said, you know, obtains in this place. There's a priority, and the first bunches of people, and I'll bet you there is over, I bet you there's hundreds of, of Americans and what we call TCNs, third country nationals, that we're constrained to pull out, you know, before uh, people who work for governments, like the Brits, right, you know, right, like Australians and shit, like the French, right. you know, and so those people are going to get the first seats. The last ones we're going to fly out of there are going to be desperate Afghans like the, like the guys you saw in the wheel wells of those uh, birds, you know, today. Yeah. I just said, like I said, 800 is a little bit outside of oh, whatever the Air Force's NATOPS yeah. is, I'm certain. Oh, for well, sure. Well, you know what the capacity of a, of a CH-53 Echo is for people? 26? 104. Yeah. Get the fuck that, out. That's how yeah. many, that was the record for crew I'm sorry, 100, four crew, 96 evacs. Yeah, and that was... 53, uh, Sierra Leone. Yeah, and uh, and in the wow. Easter Offensive, when they went up to Quang Tree, they were putting 100 South Vietnamese soldiers per 53. So let's... Hold on, Timmy. So l- let's talk about this. So so being a... Obviously, the, the runway be- becomes, right, key terrain. Got to hold the runway. Right. right. Um, and then so I, I I saw reporting that said there was concertina strung on part of the runway. C-17s can take off on a short runway. Right. They're not like they're, they're not V stole. But I mean, I think they can take off on a, on a bit of a short runway. But so you got to control part of the runway if you're going to continue to do the Neo. And so that means. People are at some point, depending on how crazy this gets, um, and that's what I want to talk about. So, Will and Jeff, talk about that. Um, as as you begin to wind this thing down, at some point, somebody's going to say, "That's it. We're now going to begin the portion where we're evacuating ourselves." Right? Yeah, we're, we're, is, we're uh, egressing. This is General Mattis. This is General Mattis in two thousand and one in reverse. In that, um, first thing, have to get all these people out. Then we have to worry about getting our people out of there, and you can't. Um, if you're looking at doing, you know, sound military operations, they're going to have to have forward, forward refueling points and they're going to have to have some place they can, uh, you know, they can get their shit together. And my guess is a lot of those Afghan nationals that they evacuate won't get evacuated all the way to, uh, they'll get evacuated to the first safe spot they can put them. So, I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't know where we're at with uh, some of those stands that are north of uh, Afghanistan. I know we're using Kyrgyzstan for, you know, a main entry point. I don't know if, uh, you know, what the attitude of the Pakistanis is to this thing. Um, I mean, I don't think, obviously, it's not practical for them to set down in Iran. Although, who knows, you know, who knows at this point. 
But uh, I would say that, uh, you know, in order to, to get everybody that wants out, out, you're going to have to have a establish, you know, a constant stream of, of uh, fixed wing air going from Kabul out. And they're probably going to want to set down as soon as they can. Because even though, like Will said, the 53 can handle 100 people, they weren't going a long distance. You know, they weren't going a long distance at all. This is different. We were at sea level. Yeah, this is different because this is these these birds got to go a long way before they're safe. So that's going to be a whole nother set of math problems. Okay, and, okay, and, but uh, but I want to I want I want to come back to when we decide to wind this thing down. Is that right. is that the most precarious part of of the neo when if it is some hybrid, um, uh, if it is some hybrid. Um, is that the most dangerous part of the neo when um, when you begin to collapse and and, and you know and begin to uh, egress your own forces out? Is that the most dangerous part? Yeah. So when when we did this in Sierra Leone, we were in a we were in a hybrid situation, although we never took fire. So the situation there was there was a government force, there was a, a West African peacekeeping force, and then there was a rebel force. Uh, and at one point, they had a three-way firefight going on. But when we came ashore, they were they recognized that we were going to go and we were going to leave. And the rebels in particular didn't want us to stay. Uh, so we, we had a much bigger perimeter than we needed on the beach to evacuate people. And we were able to collapse it in echelon. And we also had a big enough LZ that it wasn't like we collapsed from a battalion to a company to a platoon to a squad. Uh, I think the last lift out of there was two or three birds. So we probably had two or three platoons still on the ground. Uh, and I got to tell you that my biggest nightmare was actually the accountability. So we probably spent a little more time in that LZ getting out. Um, it's different for this because how does the last lift go out when you bring 6,000 people in? What does the last lift look like? Yeah, that's, that's the whole point. That's yeah. it. It's uh, whatever you bring in, you got to bring out. Yeah. So you want to bring the a lift? minimum of stuff in, in order to facilitate bringing the, the whole mission is getting, you know, uh, civilians out of there or, you know, government employees and stuff. So uh, that's the, uh, that's the, you fundamental problem. Yeah, you absolutely have to have. Uh, I mean, I got to think that that somehow you you have you're going to have to deal with the Taliban, and you're going to have to give them your timeline, uh, right? In order to get to ensure that you get access out, and then you're going to have to have big time credible threat that if somebody shoots a BB gun. You know, right. at, at this part of the evac, uh, it's going to be arc light everywhere because I just don't know how else you can do it. And, and I'll tell you, the logistics of this, you know, Jeff talks about, we have to have this steady stream. If it's U.S. military aircraft, where are they going to come from? It ain't everywhere. Like we got spare squadrons, C-5s and C-17s sitting around. Well, you know, in 90, uh, in 94... We did the uh, there was the Tutsis and the Hutus went after each other. It's a big massacre, about eight hundred thousand people in a couple of weeks. 
Most of them kill with edge weapons. They're in Rwanda. And they pulled in all kind of uh, military aircraft and massed them in, uh, in Germany and flew them down there. And they, uh, in, you know, in a week or so, they got a lot of people out. The Air Force was a lot bigger in 94. Than yeah, you're right. You're right. But it's like uh, I don't see that type of agility now. I just don't see it. All right. But, but to go back, just to make one final point. So the precarious part of this is as you, is on half of that Kabul International Airport that the military, the American military is in, in control of as you shrink that down. Right. And making sure we have accountability for everybody. Because I, I will tell you this, I, I did a few interviews with the guys who were at Kotang Island. And I will tell you what, man, um, the fact that they left guys behind uh, destroyed their lives. Yeah. Right? Especially as Marines, right? Never leave a Marine behind. And that we left somebody to that fate. Uh, so a lot of pressure goes with the leadership and the, and the accountability of as you shrink that thing and again, in seemingly, again, according to Richard Engel, and, and Will makes a good point, Taliban seemed to have a cordon, an outer cordon set around the airport, you know, and it, what does that look like? It looks like a sieve. I mean, they're probably on the main roads, but, you know, if you want to go through alleys and, and, and cut across things, you can get there. So, I mean, a kind of not so much outer cordon, but their presence is significant, and that would indicate that, you know, I would think there would be communication between right, the American forces and Taliban military coordinators uh, saying, hey, we're leaving, just make sure that nothing fucking happens. And as Timmy said earlier, you know, tough to do with this loose confederation. And, you know, you you keep your fingers crossed that everybody pays attention and everybody stays in line. And I would say the other thing is there's got to be an American sense that, look, we cannot do this indefinitely. Because we are, we are, you know, we're messing with fire when we do that. And so, yeah. your thoughts on, you know, Will and Jeff, your thoughts on 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 winding it down like that, the complexity of that, because ultimately there is one last last lift that goes, Jay, and that is the most precarious, I would think. Yeah, I, I would just say one thing. I I think the odds of us leaving one of our guys that we bring in, sort of behind on that last lift are about a million to one. Right. There's going to be a lot of other Americans getting left behind. Them. They just can't get to Kabul. We don't even know who the hell they are. Right. That's what I'm saying. Right. Right. Yeah. And this thing will be hyper precarious unless we figure out who the Taliban guy is in charge of that loose confederation that's reasonably close to the airport. And whatever fly in the the pallet of money that it's going to take to make sure that this bonehead keeps those people away at that last minute or you know the chaos at the airport cannot be sustained either right in the end people got to eat they got to drink and if they're just sitting there amidst chaos well in a couple of three days they got to go somewhere else right there you can't sustain your life that way I would think. I'd like to see what Torquem Gate looks like now. Uh, you know, Kyber Pass area, some of those uh, border border crossing points. Yeah, because you can bet you can bet there's a lot of Afghans trying to get out that way. All right, let's talk about the intel picture in the next uh, 
24, 48, 96 hours. Um, hey, Matt. So, yep. I got a quick update, and I've sent you guys the pictures if you look at the chat function in this uh, in our Skype. The uh, the first picture is is a C, uh, looks like a 17 taken off, surrounded by Afghans, and this is probably earlier in the day. I can tell by the way the uh, color is it's in the morning. The second picture is wire with a bunch of Army guys uh, uh, behind it, and I know from looking at that angle, they've got the whole runway. That runway is now clear, and that is an accomplishment. So, so that that I don't think you're going to see any more people falling out of the wheel wells. It, it appears from that second picture that I'm looking at that I mean that that's right up they're right up there where the commercial aircraft are parked. That is the main portion of the runway, and it's completely clear with a line of soldiers behind it. Look like airborne. All right. Um, so, in the next uh, 24 to 96 hours, Tim. Uh, relative to the country, Taliban are on TV. They're in, they occupy the presidential palace, the parliament buildings. Um, um, anything critical that we see, they they have triumphed in this struggle over the United States and the Afghan national government. Um, anything that um, I guess the biggest thing that we would be concerned about is what's been articulated, and that is. Does anything crazy happen around the airport? Because after that, the Afghans will be left to the Afghan. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's 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 uh, that's pretty much it. And the, the the only thing that we could hope for is the is the Taliban are a little bit magnanimous in victory and don't extract too much blood vengeance. They've already started to some extent. Uh, let's if that goes on at a massive scale, that's will be. Very hard, very hard to tolerate. But what are you going to do? Got it. All right. Uh, Will, Jeff, uh, uh, the next, uh, as this thing continues, now we don't know how long that these uh, these evacuation flights are going to uh, occur. So in the next 24, uh, 48, 96 hours, what are, you looking at? what are you looking at, Will? Yeah, I mean the the airport they got to stabilize it, and apparently they got they got it wired up, uh, and then the communication to people that are stranded. You know, I saw something that Tom Cotton's office has put out. Right. If you're if you're at distance from the airport, uh, call me. So there's going to be there's going to be dozens, hundreds, thousands of one-offs throughout the country of people looking for assistance. And so there'll be a decision made on how much of that we're really going to do and how much people are going to be on their own. Um, We got significant, uh, I would think, human on the ground there that we've got to recover uh, or you really leave people out to dry bad. And some of those are going to be, no kidding, CIA type people and others are going to be, you know, stringers. From the CIA, so we can't leave too quick. Got to get those guys out of there. Um, and once you put six thousand people in, they just don't get out that <laughs> fast. Right. Six thousand is on the order of twenty pull-up C seventeen flights. Well, to get twenty, you got to have at least twenty-five, twenty-seven aircraft because twenty doesn't make twenty. Uh, 
Yeah, it's. I, I mean, the mechanics of the the final lift of U.S. forces out of there. Uh, I'm a, been away from the business too long to to really sort of figure it out. I got to think about it some, but yeah, it's. Uh, there's going to be a there'll be a pause of insanity, which I think Tim showed the picture they're trying to get to now. Someone's going to have to make a strategic decision. This is all we got. And then they got to figure out how to wrap it up. And we got right. pretty good military planners that can do that. Yeah, I think the, those guys have come out, the last guys have come out with uh, with Ospreys um, and uh, 53, 53s and uh, CH-47s, things that can be refueled in the air. You know? And uh, that'll be the last, that'll be those, However many of the 6,000, is no kidding, in there, that'll be how they get them out, I think. So the critical thing to watch is level of cooperation and the amount of violence around the airport. If that thing... And that's been remarkable. That's right. been, uh, in my opinion, the whole, the whole uh, restraint of the Taliban. I mean, you're waiting to hear these uh, isolated stories of, uh, you know, uh, you know of, uh, attacks and stuff like that. We're just not hearing it. Just not hearing it. You're hearing like, like Timmy was saying, rumors of um, you know revenge killings and shit like that. Particularly with the all the prisons being opened up and the Taliban POWs and shit set out. But uh, I think uh, you know, I don't know if uh, we actually helped them communicate with their own folks from Doha. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm trying to think now how because th- they don't have a lot of uh, command and control capability, but apparently. People are getting a word, you know, in the on the Taliban side about uh, restraint. So, um, yeah, I could be, you know, something terrible could be happening right now, you know. But uh, so far, so good. Yeah, you know, I, um, we talked about this um, before we came on, and that is, you know, you know, I'm sure the United States said, "Hey, look, um, we need to get our people out. We need your support to do that." As this thing, you know, falls apart, and. Uh, if we start taking casualties, you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it, um, and uh, and we don't we don't want to do that. But know this, so, you know, we need your help. And so, to me, obviously, um, I don't know. Again, there's a side of me though that that I mean gets very nervous about this stuff because um, the whole Black Hawk Down scenario, and somebody decides that you know what, I'm going to get my pound of flesh. And when this thing gets small enough, I'm going to let it rip, and then we're going to see bad things happen. So I think that you know Absolutely. the United States, right? I think That's the United States. Smart way to think. Yeah, I think the United States has also laid that out and said, "Look, if anybody goes off, you know the grid. If anybody goes off the music sheet, just know this, right? We we will pay it back a hundredfold. Yeah, we will pull a page out of the Israeli." retribution manual and that's what's going to happen so i mean to me as I, I mean surprisingly and well i maybe not surprisingly when richard engel reported that it's there appears to be this cal taliban cordon you know um hey let the americans get the hell out of here we have what we want we don't need this thing to go on any further and uh we will have, have a complete victory so i would say though mac is is i don't disagree with your logic train there the, the only disagreement I would have would be the fundamental thing up front. Does anybody believe the United States has the will to do that? All right. Well, you and know what? And, and we may not, 
but then you're yeah. as a poker player, Will, um, you would recognize it's a bluff, <laughs> right? It's a bluff. Yeah, and it's and it and I would say and and trying not to bring this to a political conversation, but I would say the last forty eight hour true vacuum at the top has not necessarily made us appear strong. Now, maybe there's plenty of things going on behind the scenes. Right. Right. And we could get to, um, and we could get to that at some yeah. point. I mean, I I want to congratulate everybody for. Uh, it, let me tell you, this this stuff is hard to do because, you know, when we watch this, we're watching American history, and we and and those of us who've been around for a while, uh, we remember American history, and uh, watching this happen in Vietnam, um, the eerily familiar photographs of the CH forty seven coming out of the embassy compound in Kabul, right, eerily similar in shape and in, and and the buildings similar in color to what was in Saigon at the time and to keep to keep that emotion out of this um and I was reading a little bit today uh, kind of as the policymakers that that have given us this begin to wax eloquent on what actually happened um you would think that Vietnam never happened yeah like oh yeah it yeah well we did this and we did that and, you know, and so this, and, and we bet on the wrong team, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, well, I, I could forgive you, except we already did this in Vietnam. And so if you're a policymaker of any sorts, how you could overlook that little event and do the same thing, I don't understand. But, I, I, but again, that's not what today's about. What we try to do is, is, is um, keep the emotion out of it and talk intelligence operations what we'd be focused on in the next 24 to 96 hours, what are critical things to see, and where flashpoints might occur. And uh, I want to congratulate everybody for doing that. So, Timmy, you had, a, you had something to say? What, one final bitter irony. I, I, remind, I remarked last night when we were talking with Jeff that there, there was a picture there, and there was a CH-46 sitting there, so it must have been an old picture. There is a CH-46 at Kabul. It's a, it came from the Marine Corps, given to the State Department, and one of those aviation geek websites identified it as one of the 46s that participated in the Saigon evacuation. There you go. Come on. There you go. That no, somebody's no, no, fabricating that. That's bullshit. I will footnote it. I will footnote it for you. But That's designed item. to be a viral post, okay? Come on. I, I'm, I'm telling you. I don't believe in coincidences like that. The, uh, it's like the Casca of helicopters. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and even if it's bullshit, it's still a great story. That's Why what I'm saying. It's a great story on a bad day. Uh, how'd you get that thing to go viral? <laughs> well, let me tell you. We were sitting around drinking. And uh, wouldn't it be amazing if that 46 was one that, you know, came out, <laughs> came uh, was in Operation Frequent Win? Hey, well, why don't yeah. we just say it is? And, you know, we'll get our names all over the place. Hey, good idea. Oh, shit, I just spilled, spilled my whiskey on my keyboard who's got another keyboard um yeah that that would be how that sounds all right a final thought for today and then these guys are going to come back all week and and as you know again this is you know sadly a, a historic week and uh so you get to hear us talk about what we see in open sources uh richard engel e-n-g-e-l uh is a guy that you know is is like i said is uh is a credible guy and been a credible reporter. 
uh, in a sea of uh, not so much credibility. But uh, Richard Engel, you can find on Twitter. And uh, is Timmy? Do you know if he's is? I mean, they have cameras in Kabul. Do you know if he's in Kabul? Oh yeah, no. I I was watching that just before you called. He's standing in the old USAID compound with the embassy in his back. Yeah, he's standing right there in Kabul. Wow. He's a mile away from the airport. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, Tim, final thought for today? <laughs> I've been writing a lot of P2 visas, talking to a lot of Afghans. I, I'm not, I, it's, I'm, I'm in operational mode. I've been, I, I'm, I'm, I just don't know what else to say. This is, this is, this is a victory for Osama bin Laden. Because 20 years ago when he hit, hit us, this is exactly what he wanted us to do. He even told us this is what he wanted. This represents a strategic victory. It is now mission complete for Al Qaeda. And I, I, I don't know what else to say. All right. Will, final thought? Yeah, I think if you think about the non-combatant, evacu- non-combatant evacuation operation, it's who, who we taking out, where are they, and yeah. what risk we're willing to take to get them out. And those those things are being mashed through on the fly right now. And that'll be, that'll determine how long we're going to be there. Um, and then the other thing I would say is, as you're, if you watch the news, which I don't, um, but if you pay attention to any, any of the leadership that's talking about this, try and scope out who are they talking to? Are they talking to a domestic audience? Are they talking to history? Are they talking to a next election cycle? Are they talking to our allies? And try and look at what they say through those lenses, and it may be a better way to understand what the message is they're trying to communicate. Got it. Good advice. Uh, Jeffrey, final thought? Yeah, I just think it's too early to tell really what the hell's uh, the whole picture. And so uh, it'll be a couple of days, and the smoke will blow away a little bit. We'll get a little bit, more, excuse me, a little bit more information every day. Just like we got a dramatic amount of information between what we talked yesterday and today, you know, uh, just you know, between us guys, you know. So I think uh, that's why I'm not really I'm reserving the bitter feelings of uh, of uh, you know of failure just quite yet. I mean, for sure it ain't a success, and for sure you know we're out of there. But uh, you know, see what happens. Right. Yeah, the um, no, I mean, to me, uh, the critical things that you're watching now are the ability of the Taliban to act in concert. And uh, if they are on that outer cordon to maintain that and to cool that airport out and allow the Americans to get their asses out of here and us get our country back. So to me, uh, that is the focus. You know, will you know, will the Taliban be able to do something that they've struggled to do in the past, which is. Uh, to be disciplined as an organization, and uh, and turn and get the Americans out, and then turn the page on that. So, uh, com- yeah, and there's a couple of key questions like, what's Abdullah Abdullah doing? He's a defense minister, apparently still in there. Are the soldiers still getting paid? You know, is there any spots that are still owned by the government, or did they totally give up everything? You just don't know for sure. You know, yet, yet. Right. Right, so we shall see. All right, boys, thank you very much uh, for hopping on today. Appreciate it, and uh, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Right. Hey, have a great day. Great day, man. See you guys. All right. Those are the Mensa brothers here 
on a Monday edition of Auburn Radio. Have a great day. I'm Mike McNamara. I'm out.